the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's Wednesday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And I'm going to try with all my might to get over this voice issue that I've been having. But thank you for being patient with me yesterday. I just couldn't do it. This is, as you know, the Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. You need only to provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, I'm also going to try to finish the book of Second Kings tonight uh, here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. This is one of those uh, chapters where uh, on every every chapter, God could say, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. And I think sometimes we have to remember that judgment is a strange work for the Lord, strange to his character and strange to his nature, but necessary because of his holiness and because of his justice. It's something God doesn't want to do. He didn't want to do it then. He didn't want to do it now. And tonight we cover the fall of Jerusalem. And they're going to leave, literally be forced out of their homeland. And they will not again have sovereignty in their own land, the land that was given to them by God until May 14th of 1948 when under the direction of President David Ben-Gurion Israel was permitted by the United Nations and the cooperating world uh, to return to their homeland and um, they lost everything in the process so that is tonight at Calvary Chapel Uh, Paula will be here with me live tomorrow on the date day edition of the program. So we encourage you to tune in then as well. So let me get to some questions before I get to the questions that have been sent in. One comment that I wanted to make, uh, a couple of questions on Monday's program about Christians being demon possessed. Now, over the years, I've I've, um, spoke about that topic many, many times. I, I said on Monday, Christians cannot be demon-possessed. It's very clear biblically. Uh, and yet I thought, well, what in the world is this, is all of the, why are these questions coming up again? Well, uh, a pastor friend of mine, I was asking him the question, and he said, well, there's a new movie coming out. Uh, he thinks they're trying to capitalize on the the the, the Asbury revival and the um, Jesus Revolution movie. Uh, so it's coming out. It got rushed into, and it's about uh, demons being cast out of Christians. It's called Come Out in Jesus' Name. Um, the pastor that's featured is a pastor named Greg Locke. 
out of uh, a church in Tennessee. And uh, I really felt like I needed to warn you all about that. This movie is horrible. Uh, it is in itself demonic. The doctrine is horrible. And this guy is an absolute charlatan. He's, he'll identify himself as pastor, but uh, he is the farthest thing from a pastor. So um, um, the, the whole idea is demons being cast out. It's very sensational. Demons being cast out. It simply cannot happen. Demons cannot inhabit a body that is possessed by or controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. And we need to remember that. So if somebody asks you about this movie, you can tell them it's not right. It's not from God. Please don't go and don't contribute any money at all to the box office. It's just a horrible, horrible thing. Okay, I've done my civic duty. Here's a question from Joe from our mobile app. Uh, Pastor Ryan, can you please let me know what systematic theology or theologies I have used? And second, is Grudem's okay for me? Um, two things, um, uh, Joe, and, and um, I'm, I'm a mixed bag towards systematic theology. Um, I learned by reading the Bible. I developed my own systematic theology by reading the Bible and interpreting what it says. And the problem with systematic theologies is that it sets sort of a, a, a veneer over the Bible and people then interpret the Bible through the lens or according to the skew of their systematic theology. Uh, that's what's wrong with Grudem's, for example. I'll tell you that in a moment. Uh, so so for, for me, and this is, uh, remember, I'd never opened the Bible when I got saved. So if you would have said something about systematic theology uh, as a brand new Christian, I would have said, huh? I don't know what a systematic theology is. Of course, now I do. Um, but um, we, we just need to be really, really careful. If we really want to be rooted and grounded, we need to let the Holy Spirit develop our systematic theology. And, and when you've got people laying out a systematic theology based on their perceptions of, of Calvinism or Arminianism or, or any of the other systematic theologies that are out there, I just, I just personally don't think it's valuable at all. So I use no systematic theology. I think if you go through the Bible, chapter by chapter, uh, book by book, I think the Holy Spirit will do a wonderful job of developing a systematic theology. Grudem's is okay, except he's Calvinist. Now, uh, that doesn't mean... All of the stuff in his systemic theology is bad, but all of it with a soteriology based on Calvinism really is. You know, one of the problems with Calvinism is that you could never come to the conclusions that Calvinists come to simply by reading the Bible. Once you lay somebody else's or a, a Calvinist systematic theology over the Bible, then you can decide, oh, well, this word doesn't mean this. For God so loved the world. Well, that doesn't really mean the world. It means he loved the elect. Um... Um, God is unwilling that any should perish. Well, except he knows that the elect, those who are not elect, are going to perish. So, um, um, I, Joe, I would simply say, find good, solid commentaries and interpret the Bible one book at a time. It's a, it's a, a you know, we look at the Bible too often as one book. It's 66 different books written by 40 different authors over a period roughly of 1,500 years. And as you put it all together, as the Holy Spirit sort of weaves it together for you, what you're going to realize is that the wonder and the awe of this, this book we call the Bible, these 66 books that are in complete harmony, do not contradict one another, uh, is overwhelming. And I personally believe that systematic theologies minimize the awe of our Bibles. It's the only reason people can come up with these goofy positions. Um, it's just, well, well, this is what we believe. And so they interpret everything through that. Um, that that's my, my advice. So I'm, I'm hesitant, Joe, to um, refer anybody to a systematic theology, uh, even one with a soteriology that I would agree with. Um, I think personally, now I don't know everything, but 
what I know uh, today uh, is what God started teaching me literally the moment I got saved. When I opened the Bible, it took me about six months to really dig in and open the Bible. Um, there was a real spiritual battle going on. I didn't even recognize that's what it was. But I would actually go to open the Bible that somebody bought me. It smelled beautiful. It was brand new King James leather Bible. Um, but every time I tried to open it, I'd get like nauseous. And, and at one point I just decided, I'm a Christian. I've got to read my Bible. And I just sort of struggled through it. And then the, the problem went away. But when I opened it, I just kind of got it. And certainly nothing I did. It was a gift given to me. I think God wants to give that gift to all of us. So, Joe, I hope that helps. Um, find some good commentaries. Uh, they're, they're, they're great commentators. F.F. Bruce has some books um, on the New Testament documents. Um, John R. W. Stott has some great stuff on the canon of Scripture and the primacy of preaching. His stuff on the primacy of preaching is is wonderful. Um, and it's more than just that. So uh, I just think that's the best way to really learn what the Bible says. And then you got to add one more thing. And this is not just to Joe. This is to everybody in the audience. The other thing that you really need to add is obedience. When you find the Bible says something that you do understand, too often we worry about what we don't understand. But when you find something you do understand, be obedient. Let it change you. And then the Holy Spirit will just open up volumes of understanding for you. So that is the best I can do for you, Joe. I hope that helps. Here's a question from Brett. Why did Jesus hate the Nicolaitans? Um, Revelation doesn't say he hates the Nicolaitans. He says he hates the teaching or the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And here's why he hates that bread. He hates the doctrine. Uh, Nicolaitans, it's, it's, it's uh, made two Latin words, Nico meaning above, laitans or laity above the people. And the reason Jesus hated the doctrine of the Nicolaitans is because it put a level of people a level of, of priest between Jesus and the believer. And so here's what he's saying. I died that you and I could have a, a relationship. I died so that I could speak to your heart, so that I could hear from your heart. And the Nicolaitans, we would say the priests of today that want you to make confession to them, that's, that's the doctrines of the Nicolaitans and the practice of the Nicolaitans. And he, he died so that there would be no one, there would be nothing between us and him. And every single believer has access to the Son of God, who is God the Son, over and over and over, every single day of their lives. And when we go to a religious organization that says, no, you need a priest to do this or a priest to do that, um, you can almost sense the disgust in Jesus' uh, heart and mind. It's, it's, he hates it because he doesn't want anything or anyone to come between him and the believer, whether a brand new believer like I was 32 years ago or uh, a, a mature Christian uh, in those times of need, in those times of darkness. We need to run to Jesus. And by the way, Brett, um, it's one of the reasons that a celebrity preacher culture, like the one that we live in, is so dangerous because we elevate people, charismatic people, wonderful communicators. We elevate them, and it's subconsciously, but nonetheless, we elevate them as being super, sort of super spiritual, and there's nothing at all more spiritual about somebody who does what I do than about the most basic or newest convert in the church, we all stand before God based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And to have somebody that you idolize or somebody that you think is, is a celebrity and, and uh, you know, he just brings the word. And I, I you know, we, we need to be very, very careful about that. So Jesus didn't hate the Nicolaitans. He loved them. He died for them. But he does hate the doctrines 
uh, the practices of the church? Good question. Thank you. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's an anonymous question. Um, Pastor, is living with someone while not married really a sin? I don't see what's wrong with it. Well, Anonymous, here's the thing. It doesn't matter what we think is sin or what we think is right and wrong. We can do whatever we want to do. We, God has given us free will. But he's also made it very clear that if we're going to have sex with somebody, it's somebody that we need to be married to. And in this day and age, I have to also add somebody of a different than gender. So you got to be married, a husband and a wife, a man and a woman. Can't be two men, can't be two women. But if you're going to have sex with somebody, you better be married to them. And whether or not you agree that it's wrong um, really matters nothing at all to God. Uh, our, our culture has changed a lot of things that God says is wrong. And we say, well, what's so wrong, God? These are just two people that love each other. No, God is the only one, Anonymous, who gets to decide what is or is not sin. And our job as a Christian, and you wrote to this program, I'm assuming you're a professing believer, um, maybe a brand new believer, but uh, when we decide to follow Jesus, then we have also decided that he's right and we're wrong. And his is the only view that matters. You know, we've heard this a lot lately, and this isn't anything new, but it just seems like thing going, things go in cycles. Or we've had people come to us and say, well, show me in the Bible where it says um, um, living with someone and not being married is a sin. Well, it's fornication. And we know sexual immorality. Fornication is sinful. And if you're having sex with somebody you're not married to, then you're guilty of that. The Apostle Paul adds that that is a sin that has deeper consequences spiritually than perhaps any other sin. He writes to the church in Corinth. He says, when a man sins sexually, he sins against his own body. All the other sins he commits are committed outside his body. But when he sins sexually, the same thing is true with a woman. When she sins sexually, she's sinning against her own body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that is, as clearly as God can put it, a sin, and it gives Satan a deeper inroad. So I know we live in a culture where sex is okay, it's just casual, and it's not that big a deal, and marriage licenses are just a piece of paper. What's the big deal? I've had people who, who said they made commitment ceremonies. Um, uh, it, none of that matters. You've got to be married, and you've got to be married legally. And a marriage has to be recognized by the state or the country that you live in. And the rules are different in different places. But living with somebody while not married really is a sin anonymous. And I think you knew the answer to that question before you sent it in. So it's time to agree with Jesus or be honest enough and say, you know what? The truth is, I'm maybe, not, maybe I'm not a Christian at all. You know, one of the things that happens when we get saved is the Holy Spirit is given to us as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Um, Jesus, when he, in his post-resurrection body, before he was to go up, ascending into the heavens, he breathed on his disciples and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit of God. And when he, the Holy Spirit, comes to live within us, then he's the one who has control. And it doesn't matter what the world says, what the culture says. Every single truly born-again person knows when we're doing something that's sinful. That's the witness of the Holy Spirit. And what we're doing is we're quenching the Holy Spirit of God if we simply don't obey. So, hope that helps. Here is another anonymous question. Uh, my daughter told a friend that she wants to tell us she is bisexual. I only know this because I looked at her texts. I can't tell her I looked because that violates her privacy. How should I handle this? 
Now, please listen to me very closely. Your daughter is a child who lives in your home, and she's messing with a loaded gun. She has no privacy. She has no right to social media. She has no right to privacy at all. She lives in your home. She's your responsibility. And here's what you do. You say, I looked at your texts. And I know that this is what you told a friend. And I want you to know that's wrong. We won't permit it. And while you live in this house, under this roof, you simply cannot participate in anything sexual, period. And we're going to really tighten the leash. You know, it's, it's, it's foreign to me. Now, I'm, I'm old. I realize that. But it's foreign to me. If I would have told my father that this is my bedroom, I have a right to privacy in this bedroom. You know what my dad would have done? He would have removed the door. I'd pay for this house, Ronnie, is what he would have said. So the way you handle it is very directly, very quickly, and very completely. I would cut her off completely from social media. Um, I would let her understand that there is no privacy in this house. You are a minor. Minors don't have privacy. And then I would let her know that we're going to church as a family together. We're going to do family devotions. And you're going to participate. And when you're 18 years old and you're ready to move out, then you can do what you want. You will be legally an adult. But until that time, I'm responsible to raise you to know who Jesus is. So this is, this is an urgent time that we live in, Anonymous. I would let her know I'm going to keep looking at your text. If I would personally take away her phone. But if you don't do that, I would let her know that everything that she does on her phone, you're going to examine. Everything. And while she cries about it, and while the world around us says, well, that's invading your privacy, no, you're going to be accountable to stand before Jesus relative to how you've raised and protected your daughter. So it's time to get tough. That's tough love, but it's it's really an important time to let her continue on this path is uh, is going to be devastating to her. And I don't know how old she is. You can give all that information, but here's what I do know. I do know that the consequences of the choices that kids are making uh, will be lifelong, lifelong. Zachary, this will be the last question for this half of the program, I think. Uh, Zachary says, Pastor Ron, is it right for Christians to serve in the military? Of course it is, Zachary. Um, I don't know why you're asking the question other than maybe the possibility of going to war. Um, there are causes that are just. Um, uh, sometimes nations have to fight for just causes. And um, serving in the military is honorable. Serving in the military uh, is is service, obviously. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with it. So, yes, uh, Christians uh, serving in the military is um, something that is commendable. Anybody serving in the military, uh, it's commendable. But for Christians, God has people everywhere. God has people everywhere. And we need to, to, to recognize that uh, if he's putting people there, our responsibility is to go be a light for Jesus Christ in the military. You know, one of the things, Zachary, and I don't know if you're talking about you or somebody else, but but when young people come to us and say, you know, I'm thinking about going into the military, my first response is, you know what, you're not crazy about authority, and you think it's going to be okay in the military. I said, they're going to own you. They're going to dominate your life. You get up when they tell you. You go to bed when they tell you. You have no freedom at all. And and I think I think for a parent... Or for somebody like me that I often get asked by young people about going into the military, I think one of the things we got is this a good fit? And I want I want our kids if they decide to go in the military, and we have a lot of people from military families, and it's normal for them. 
I just want them to be sure that they understand that going in the military requires that they bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ in their service. That means they submit to authority. That means they, they're a light to, to the rest of the people around them. And uh, if that's the case, Zachary, then um, they're ready to go. We've seen some people that are really, really ready to go. So that's interesting. A, a, a year ago, maybe a little over a year ago now, we sent somebody uh, into the Army, somebody who wanted to. And I was surprised, actually, this young man had college options. Uh, but he wanted to go in the, in the military. And uh, he's just done so well. Now he's come back and fallen in love. They're coming back in uh, in April. He's coming back in April, and I'm going to marry him and another young woman who's grown up in our church. Um, and the military's been wonderful for them. So we have three veterans on staff here, Army, Air Force, uh, and Marines, all represented here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. We have 30 minutes left in the Wednesday show, 340-9585 or toll-free. 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Wednesday show. We'd love your live calls and questions, 340-9585. Here is a question from Miles. He says, if God didn't create evil, where did it come from? I think God created evil, and it proves he's not completely good. Miles, I think this is in response to a question I got a week or so ago. Um... Did God create evil if God created everything? I said, no, God didn't create evil. Uh, God is completely good, and nothing that is evil comes from God. So the question that you ask is, where then did evil come from? And your conclusion, because we're linear thinkers, is that if God created everything, he had to create evil. And if God created evil, then God is not good, and then we don't have to deal with God. The, the question, Miles, that you're asking comes from a desire in, in our innermost beings, to sin. We love to sin. Now, where did evil come from? Well, the first recorded appearance of evil is in the rebellion of Lucifer against God when a third of the angels in heaven were sort of seduced by Lucifer uh, to follow him in his rebellion against God. Now, the evil then came from the free will choice that God gave us. You know, from the beginning, God could have decided that he wants a completely obedient, both angelic and human, um, relationship with people. A complete, he could have made us robots. We could have done whatever he said, but God, who is love, understood that that wouldn't be loving at all. So God knew that we would have a choice. Now remember, God lives outside of time and space. He knows the end from the beginning. And so from the very beginning, God knew that there was going to be a choice that had to be made between good and evil, that a lot of people were going to choose evil. More people, in fact, were going to choose evil than choose God. And that was also true with the angels. The, the only difference is more of the angels, because, of course, they were in the presence of God. Um, more of the angels would choose good, choose God, than choose uh, doing that which was disobedient. And so what God did, Miles, is he gave us the ability to choose, and we proved once and for all, once and for all, we proved, the real problem has always been us, our human nature. Adam and Eve were in a perfect creation. One thing that they were prohibited from, and that's where Lucifer met Eve, and we know how that turned out. So where did evil came from? It comes from within us. 
John chapter 3, Jesus says, we're all born born condemned already. Why? Because we have a sin nature. Now, Adam didn't have a sin nature. Eve didn't have a sin nature. Lucifer, the other angels, didn't have a sin nature. So God gave them an instrument where they could demonstrate their love, who they really were, by what they chose. And they chose to do evil. So, uh, Miles, that's where evil came from. And God, uh, who is light, in him there's no darkness at all. It is impossible for God to have created evil. Hope that helps make sense. Let's go to our first phone call today from Universal City. John on line one. John, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. I hope you're doing well. I'm doing better, John. I can talk a little bit. Thank you. Excellent. Um, in uh, I have a question for you about prayer. Uh, in our morning readings, we're in Proverbs right now, and uh, Proverbs 15 Uh, Verse 29, which says, uh, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. Mm -hmm. And just by, I don't want to call it a coincidence, I think the Holy Spirit is trying to tell me something here, but in preparing (laughs) uh, the Wednesday night lesson for the kids out of Isaiah 59, we had something very similar, which says, uh, your iniquity has separated you from your God, your sins have hidden his face from you, so he will not hear And then, um, motivated by that, going into Daniel chapter 9, I see how Daniel has this incredible prayer of repentance and confession, and then in verse 20 is when he gets his vision about the 770s. And all of a sudden that gets me to thinking, um, is is our prayer uh, not effective if we don't begin with repentance? Ooh, good question, John, and I agree completely. Um, Repentance is the vehicle by which we can renew a a relationship, a fellowship with God uh, that sin destroys. Now, I'm not talking about losing salvation here, but but even as Christians, we walk through this world uh, and our feet get dirty. I always like when when Peter said to Jesus uh, in the foot washing uh, chapter, John chapter 13, um, Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, then you'll have no part of me. And, and Peter then, of course, overreacting, said, well, then wash all of me. And, and Jesus said, no, you, you're, you're already clean by the word I have spoken. But, and the idea is you're walking in this world and your feet get dirty, so you got to keep your feet clean. And for us, uh, righteousness is by faith. It was by faith in the Old Testament as well. Righteousness was earned by believing God and when you said, Lord, um, um, what I did was wrong, um, then you could, like David, say, okay, Lord, renew within me a right spirit. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And the reason you could do that is because the door was made wide open again uh, for, for you to approach the throne of God. You know, God lives in unapproachable light. That, that's, that's an amazing thing. He lives in unapproachable light, and yet he says, come to me. And the only way that we can approach that light is when our sins have been wiped away and our righteousness then shines like the stars. Now, it's not a a perfection until we're going to be with Jesus. We're not going to be perfect. But it's the righteousness of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And in your, your illustration with Daniel, Uh, Daniel is arguably, from my perspective, one of the two holiest guys in all the scripture, Isaiah being the other one. And both of them, um, when when they're really crying out to the Lord, they're repenting for their part in the sin. uh, For for we have sinned and we live among a people of unclean lips or our people have sinned. And when they're crying out for forgiveness, they realize that they need to repent. So we can go through the motions of prayer on a daily basis, John. But if our heart's not right before God, uh, John, I know you've heard me say a hundred times over the years that um, uh, we should keep very short accounts with God. That's why the Apostle Paul says to examine ourselves daily. And the reason we're doing that in part is selfish. Uh, We want access to God to be open and available to us. And the way, the only way we can have that access is if we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, 
Uh, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And then we can walk right back into the throne of God. Hebrews 4.16 says, with confidence, knowing that our prayers will be answered when we are praying in the will of God. So, uh, yeah, repentance, John, is, is sort of the door opener into the presence of God where he ever lives to make intercession for us. Does that make sense? It does. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. My pleasure, John. God bless you. And I just want to thank you for your service. John has been faithful in our church for so many, many years. And um, uh, he's just one of those guys that uh, you're on your knees thanking God for all the time. Here's a question from Jordan. How would you explain to someone why Christianity is the only true religion? Jordan, this is a, a really, it's nothing more than a simple logic exercise. Um, if what I say as a Christian is true, then anything and everything that contradicts what I say cannot be true. So two things that contradict one another cannot both be true. You know, the, the person that says in our world, well, you have your truth and I have my truth. That's silliness. And everybody knows that silliness. So if it's true, then everything that conflicts with it, by definition, is not true. And if that's the case, then what we've got to deal with is how do we know it's true? And Jordan, the one thing that separates us from every other religion in this world is the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. Buddha died, Confucius died, Muhammad died, and they're all dead and buried. Uh, we can find the places where they died, um, you know, that their bodies weren't missing. Um, um, but Jesus, when he died, he didn't stay dead. And then he walked around, and then he ascended into the heavens to the right hand of God, where he's remained forever and they've never found the body. So that's the way we know what we believe is true. Now, I know that in the world that we live in, Jordan, people don't like that kind of certainty. You should see. I, I can tell when I am preaching, um, just because I'm so confident in what I believe, uh, and, and certainly it's not arrogance. I understand that. Uh, and I don't take this personal, but, but we're not comfortable with certainty. What about this person? He's a good person. If they don't believe in Jesus, they're going to go to hell. That doesn't make sense to me. So, And so we come up with all kinds of alternatives. The reality is, if Jesus Christ is the truth, if he's the way, if he's the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him, then we've got to understand there's something, some evidence that, that makes the point, and the empty tomb, Jordan, is that evidence. And I've told Muslims on this radio program, and I've told others, um, you show me an empty tomb where somebody was put in there dead, and then they appeared to be alive, and, and now the body can't be found, and maybe we can have a different discussion. But of course, that's not true. That's why Muslims in particular say, well, Jesus didn't really die and wasn't resurrection. He, he didn't really die at all. Um, Christianity is demonstrably and evidentially true. And if we understand that, then we don't have to make excuses for it. We simply tell somebody, look, I know why I believe in Jesus Christ. Can you tell me what evidence you have to believe in whatever it is you believe in? Well, this is what I've always been taught, or this is what I've always believed, or this is what I chose, this worked for me. None of that matters. That's subjective. What matters is this is true. Jesus was killed, he didn't stay dead, and he's alive today. And Jesus Christ has changed the, the lives of so many multiplied billions of people throughout the 2,000 years since his death and resurrection. The impact he's had on this world is overwhelming. And only Jesus Christ has the ability to change people like me. The man I was and give me a whole new life, a life filled with purpose and meaning. So, Jordan, I hope that answers your question. Thanks very much. Let's go to New Brumfels and talk with Chris on line one. Chris, thanks for calling. You're on the air. 
All right. Thanks. Enjoy the show. I have a question about giving. Um, you know, my, my wife and I, we give more than 10% of our income, but we don't give all of that or even a, the greatest percentage of that to our church. We get to you know, women's shelters and crisis pregnancy centers and things like that in addition to the church. And I always wonder if that's being biblically, you know, biblically tithing. You know, that I, it, I, I've always had this quandary in my head. Yeah, Chris, let me ask before you uh, go to listen. Uh, can, can I ask, why do you do that? Why do you give more money to um, causes rather than to your church? Well, part of it, you know, we're, we're called to help the poor and the hungry and the widows and the orphans. And so I give to organizations that I believe are faithful to, you know, God's calling, but not necessarily to the church. Yeah. So I, I, I give food to the uh, the food shelter, you know, yeah. the food the food banks and uh, you know women's pregnancy centers and, and you know things like that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for for answering the question, Chris. And I didn't mean to be nosy, but I have people that do that a lot. You know, not not here necessarily at our church, but just um, people that call the radio program. Uh, and often it's because they want to control their giving. Well, this is a a, a, a part of of my heart, and and it's a near and dear cause to me. And my my response to that is always, um, is your church not doing those things? You know, here at our church, and I'll just use me an example, Chris, because I I uh, I only know what we do, but. But, you know, we have a free doctor's office for, for uh, we're going on 11 years. We have a free doctor's office where people can come with no cost at all and be cared for. Completely free doctor's office. Um, that costs a lot of money. It's supported by the ministry. We have a home for um, young women. Not, not just young women. Let me, let me rephrase. We have a, a, a home for women who have either been in trouble or been uh, in abusive situations. Um, um, we want to give them a foundation, new start. They don't have to be Christians, but typically they all get saved. Uh, and and we, we provide them a safe place to, to live, um, uh, supervised, but, but we provide them a safe place to live, and we, we, we ground them in, in their relationship with the Lord. That costs a lot of money to do. Uh, we have a free Christian school. We, this is our 24th year. We're almost at the end of the 24th year. Um, a free Christian school, and, and people from the community can come and enroll in the school. Uh, and that costs even more money than the other two. Um, and it, for, for me, it's, it's hard for me to understand that people would go to a church that... that isn't doing those things. Now, if your problem is with, and I'm not speaking just to Chris now, I'm speaking to everybody, but if your problem is that you don't agree with the way the church is spending the money, um, then that's a discussion that, that uh, as a family, you have to have, and maybe you're not going to the right church. Um, you know, God has different visions for different churches. And that's why the, the bulk of your giving should be to your local church. I think the New Testament makes that really, really clear. Um, your church is, is probably supporting uh, missionaries. Your church uh, is probably supporting pregnancy centers. Uh, there are things, but all of those things cost money. Now, often the argument that I will hear is, well, you know, I don't want to pay for a big building, and I don't want to pay for, for uh, uh, extensive salaries, those kinds of things. But honestly, it, it takes um, a building, uh, a big building, to have a lot of people. And when we open the doors here on, on a Sunday, we know that we're going to be wall-to-wall full three services every Sunday. And, and we have to have a place big enough. And by the way, please pray for us because we're, we're, we're in negotiation for a, a building um, but you see, the building is a vehicle that advances the ministry. And so again, the people that are proclaiming the word to you, the, the staff, uh, they're, they're a part of our hearts as well, and they need to be supported. Uh, I've got 30, I think two or three employees 
currently. And, um, you know, their, their families have to be provided uh, a living. So um, that's why the, the bulk of your giving ought to be going to the church. And I just think it's problematic if the church isn't supporting causes that um, are near and dear to your heart. So um, I just think this is a matter of personal prayer. It's your money. It's really the, the Lord's money, Chris. But it's your money uh, to do with as you are led by the Lord to do. And, and certainly I can't tell you it's wrong or it's sinful to be giving more money to other organizations. But, but you know, it's the church. It's, those organizations, uh, they, while they may be protecting um, or, or offering opportunities for um, um, uh, mothers um, to protect unborn children, um, you know, the, the, those pregnancy centers aren't advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, same thing is true with other areas of, of interest that we have, um, shelters or food banks, things like that. Um, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the main mission that every church has, and that's where most of the money ought to go. Now, Chris, if you've listened to this program for any length of time, you know, I believe, uh, the Bible teaches, I think, very clearly that tithing, New Testament tithing, is is a contradiction in terms. Um, tithing is an Old Testament construct. It's under the law given to Israel. Um, Jesus ended the law. Um, he fulfilled the law. And before dying on the cross, he instituted a new covenant, which replaces, by definition, replaces the old covenant. And because it replaces the old covenant, we're no longer bound to that covenant. And Paul says that giving then ought to be between uh, the giver and the Lord. And God loves generous, uh, hilarious givers. And we should give not under compulsion or not, not because we'd feel guilty if we didn't, but we give because we have a real understanding of who our money really belongs to. The idea of giving a little bit is not from the Lord. You know, well, God, I'm going to give uh, you a dime and I'm going to keep 90 cents out of every dollar. What we should say is, Lord, this is your money. How much do you want us to give? And Chris, you, you said you're giving way more than 10%. God bless you for that. Uh, and and the, only, the only suggestion I would make to you is... Uh, really seek the Lord. You and your wife, really seek the Lord and say, okay, God, what do you want us to do with your money? And if you are going to a church and you don't have any, um, uh, if you're not in agreement with, with the way the money is being spent or if you see abuses, uh, you know, somebody at your church is making tons and tons of money, uh, those kinds of things, then maybe the Lord is leading you to another church. But the best way to give to the Lord is say, okay, Lord, this is the church body you want me to be a part of, and I'm going to support that ministry. Everybody who gives here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, believe me, they're supporting all kinds of social justice causes. And we, we're not a social justice church, but, um, you know, we, we're, we're really using that money to go out and, and minister to unbelievers. 90% of the people that come to Malta Medical, which is our family practice doctor's office, without ever being charged a dime, 90% of them are people from outside our church who would never get there. Never come to a church. Paula came to me. She was so excited on last Sunday. She said, Ron, I just met three new people and all of them were patients at Malta Medical. And one of them came up and got saved that day. So, you know, the, the, the Lord gives a vision to each and every church. So find a church whose vision is close to your heart. And that's where most of your money ought to be given. Hey, a couple things, and we're running out of time. But uh, just because Chris wrote in or called in asking about money, um, we're, we're having our annual business meeting. We're having it a little late because I was traveling so much in February. Uh, but um, um, we're, we're having our annual business meeting this Sunday. Uh, and that business meeting is where we show everybody this is the money we got and this is how we spend it. 
and this is who we are as a church, and this is why we do the things that we do. And people can come in, they can ask any question. There's no question off limits. I, I, I want them to be respectable. Um, and um, uh, we're going to be doing that at 5 o'clock on Sunday, um, this, this Sunday. And it's just an opportunity. This is what a church, and, and we're going to be very detailed about this is the money, this is where it went, this is how much we got, uh, and, and, and everybody's going to be able to follow and see exactly um, what I make. Um, I, I don't disclose the salaries of the pastors here on staff, but, um, you know, we just want, we want everything to be out in the open, and uh, we want to be able to do that. So that's Sunday at 5 o'clock, and, and uh, we won't live stream that, but, but it will be available uh, this Sunday. The, the meeting usually takes an hour uh, unless questions go on, and um, unfortunately not a lot of people um, are, are that interested. Our people, you know, have been here long enough. They've seen those things, so um, now they don't come. But, but you, it's available this week. Uh, the other thing, this week, Friday, I'm going to be um, ordaining a new pastor. Louis Hener is going to become Pastor Louis, and he's going to be bringing the message on Friday um, this week uh, for his ordination. So that does it. I'll be back tomorrow with Paula on the date day edition of the program. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Have a wonderful time. I'm going to close Second Kings tonight. You've been listening to the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And Lord willing, Paul and I will be here tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.